This is episode five with brewer Natalie Baldwin. Have you ever wondered how do artists come up with ideas for their next painting? How do CEOs disrupt industries? How do chefs combine unexpected ingredients? Where do leaders find their strength and courage? Well, you've come to the right place. Magical Humans is about to make you feel seen and connected on a whole other level. My name is Vania Vananina. I'm an artist and creativity expert, and I am on a mission to talk to extraordinary people about their creativity, failures, wins, and everything in between. My wish is that these magical humans inspire you to take the leap and lead a creative life. Natalie, welcome. Hi. Thank, thank you, you so much for being here. It means a lot. And it's so good to see your beautiful face in person. I We've know. been corresponding through social media for so long. I actually, I mentioned, I think I mentioned this when we connected. I saw you a few years ago at a Paras Women Unite mm -hmm. uh, picnic yep. in a park. And someone said, like, that's Natalie, and she's a brewer. And I'm like, whoa, and I was just fangirling over you, like, a lady brewer, yes. <laughs> but yeah, but then you left. We didn't have a chance to connect that time, but it's, I think you're a magical human. Thank you so much ah, for being thank here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I know you probably remember I had a dream about you, even after not knowing you. Yes, all, which was yes. Sort of strange to reach out to you and tell you that, but I found that it ended up being something that you needed to hear, which was kind of cool. So share what, what it was. I don't remember all of the details at this point, but I had a dream that we were like close friends and I went to the premiere of your documentary and I was so proud and so excited. And I woke up and I was like, that is so weird. I don't even know this person. That's so rad. Yeah, so rad. And then I sent you a message and you were like, oh my gosh, no way. And you had been thinking about like yes. making something, right? Yeah, and a documentary is something that I've uh, always wanted to make because I love that medium, that kind of film medium. But I wanted to do something like a podcast or a show or somewhere where I could share my creative process and also have some human connection with other creatives. So when you said that, it's like, okay, this is more than a sign and <laughs> not from the universe. It's like, I went to see your documentary, so get on it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah. Sorry. And sorry, it was weird, but great that it worked no, out no, no, great. No, no, no. <laughs> so usually I am that person. I am mm -hmm. the person that approaches people and like, hey, I met you like seven years ago on this random thing. You, you know. Yeah. yeah so it wasn't weird at all for me. It was great. Mm -hmm. And it was funny to be on the other side. Yes. <laughs> and oh. another funny thing is we were just talking about uh, breakfast and I had coffee out of the mug that you made. Oh, really? Yes. Oh, <laughs> my, my God. I mug. love that mug so much. It was the first one that I did with exposed clay. Yeah, on the bottom. Mm -hmm. yeah, it's very beautiful. So, Natalie, tell us, what do you do? I am a research and development brewer at Breakside Brewing in Portland. And why do you do it? How did you, how did you end up where you are right now? I think like most people, I accidentally ended up where I am. I mean, I think a lot of people have intention to have, you know, goals and, you know, a little bit of direction. But I studied biochem and my intention was to be a vet and I never finished school. So I was in this weird, like tumbling uh, state where I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, where I wanted to be, where I wanted to mm -hmm. live. 
what kind of person I thought that I was going to end up being, you know, all of those. The good old quarter life crisis. Yeah, exactly. And I was working as a valet parking cars. I did that for about six years and made a lot of money so that I could travel around the world and do all sorts of weird, you know, unattached things. And I ended up in Portland because the job was able to transfer me. It was a, like the a valley job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was a big company. So I was able to transfer around and I ended up in Portland with a job and wanted to get more into the beer industry. So I started bartending at a brewery and uh, then it all kind of just happened really quickly. Uh, started. You were curious about making beer and mm-hmm. then as you were bartending, you were also getting your hands in the brewing or how did that, how did that transition Yeah, um, the brewer made this little competition and said, whoever can make the best homebrew can brew a beer on the system. And this is among employees exactly. of the uh, brewery. Mm-hmm. And I did not make the best beer, <laughs> but I was still really excited and was really intrigued by specialty ingredients and wanted to just kind of work something out with him. And he ended up letting me make a beer anyways and, you know, walked me through on how to design a recipe and how to choose the ingredients you want to use and how much alcohol do you want in it? Which grains do you want? Just kind of the wow. big, um, how do you do it? And after that, I got really interested in it and kind of started like feeling out in the beer community where I could work, what I could do and uh, ended up getting a job at Burnside, mm-hmm. different brewery, but I worked there for a little while. Mm-hmm. Wow. That is so fascinating how, you know, one thing lets to another Random thing. Let's do another random thing. Tell me about that valet job. How did you get it? How, what did you do? It. I just, I'm so curious about it. I know it's strange, right? Yeah, it's strange. I've I never met, I mean, I've met people, but yeah. n- no one that did it for so long and then transferred to another city and that, you know, it's, I want to know about it. Yeah. So I got the job when I was in college in Denver and it's sort of funny because I have facial piercings and at the time I had colorful hair and I have like a full sleeve of tattoos and my legs are fairly tattooed and they don't hire anyone that has facial piercings, colored hair or tattoos. So I don't know what happened. So somehow I like snuck through and I worked at these nice hotels such as the Four Seasons in Denver and I had to wear like covers for all of my like tattoos. I had to take my nose ring out to dye my hair and I had it kind of looked like a basketball shooter sleeve, but mm-hmm. it was skin colored and I had to wear that all day and I had to wear pants. And it was just like <laughs> this kind of funny, weird anomaly where I was existing and everyone else was very different from me. Mm. But I was a little like valet manager and I wore a suit to work every day. And <laughs> wow, yeah, super funny. But you're just kind of running for cars and, you know, working for like really big parties and meeting celebrities and just weird. But this large company... Uh, they have locations all around the country. And when I wanted to move to Portland, it was super easy just to transfer. And when I got the job here, it was a lower volume hotel and I didn't make as much money, which is why I wanted to have the job at the brewery mm. to kind of subsidize so that. So you were doing the two jobs yep. at mm-hmm. some point. Mm-hmm. And why Portland? Why did you choose Portland? Well, I initially wanted to be in like the hair business mm-hmm. and I had a friend who went to the Paul Mitchell school here mm-hmm. and it was a really good school and she really liked it. And I always thought Portland was really cool. So my intention was to like save money, go to the school. And that's the reason why I got a second job. But I would like always have 
colored and cut like friends' hairs and boyfriends' hairs and like you I, do your own hair. Yeah, I just grew up being very involved in all that and thinking it's really cool. And again, like another creative outlet. And there's a lot of really cool science behind color yes. and chemistry. Again, kind of rolling that back in, which is a very consistent pattern in my life is creativity and like some sort of science outlet combined. Wow. Yeah. That is so interesting. Yeah. And also it's so fun to learn because since I've seen a lot of pictures of you and follow, I love your Instagram stories because you share like you have this hashtag, what is it, Breakside Twins? Yeah, Breakside like, Twins yeah. again. <laughs> and you know, your pets and your hair and your lashes and you are such a beautiful human. But also I love how you were one of my pros when I decided to cut my Yay. hair short uh -huh. because you look so badass and rad and you were like, this week I'm doing this, this week I'm doing this. So that is really fun to know. I just love what you said about it's like this outlet, but then it's yeah. like a dual toothpaste thing. I don't know if that yeah, makes sense. It's like, where it's like ice part, cream. Like yes, like, a, like vanilla, soil yeah. ice cream yeah. where part is creativity and part is science. Yeah. I mm -hmm. love that. Mm -hmm. That is so cool. Were you into science when you were a kid? I don't remember being like, like I remember someone bought me one of those little like science kits mm -hmm. that had like a little microscope and yeah. you could like look at slides of a butterfly wing or a leaf or something like that. And then I also remember those little kits where you could grow crystals, uh, mm -hmm. just things like that. But I don't remember it being... That you were hugely yeah. interested. Okay. I mean, it, I loved it, but it wasn't something that I was like completely blown away by. And I think being... I just was... I was always a good student. I had mm -hmm. like in high school, I had like a 4.0. And when I was in college, I had a really good uh, GPA. But I never thought that I was like smart enough to mm. be a science person, whatever that means. Like... I love reading about science, but sometimes I don't fully understand like reading really in-depth like science journals. And uh, I think... Because of that vocabulary, but you're yeah. interested in that concept yeah. of things. Mm. I don't know. I think like, when you want to be something and you're not there, it's always a little bit intimidating. And sometimes you maybe retract a little bit because you're like, oh, that's a little bit too much. That's yes. intense. That is so cool. So... Where are you from? Are you from Colorado? Yeah, I'm from the mountains in Colorado, a little ski town. Oh. Yeah, it's called Edwards. It's really close to Vail. Um, so did you grow up? Were you like a snow kid? Yes, yes. very much a snow kid. My parents met because they were pro road bike racers. What? And they opened a bike and ski shop when I was a little kid. So I grew up in a ski shop. And, and do you mainly ski or snowboard? I've snowboarded once okay. where I was on the hill with a couple of friends and we switched gear like, mm -hmm. and then went down the hill and that was the only time I've done that. But, but you're a skier mainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I ski raced in like middle school and high school and I used to ski like over a hundred days a year because we wow. did this really cool program where I was in the public school, but you just go to school a couple hours early and take extra classes and then get out at noon and then go ski in the afternoon. Ugh. But it was obviously like with a, a program, you had to be like... Yeah, it, it was organized exactly. uh, recreation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I was on a ski team and did all that. And then I blew out both my hips when I was 16 and I've had... In a single incident? Mm -hmm. Oh. Yeah, and so I've had hip surgery on both sides and have arthritis and can tell when the weather's changing and the pressure's changing, so... <laughs> but yeah, grew up very much like that, skiing, biking, kayaking... Very, very outdoorsy. I get that from the interaction we've we've had or on social media, like you like like you're a high energy person. Mm -hmm. Did you ever imagine 
when you were in school or being a valet or even as a kid that you would be involved with the craft brewing industry? No, not at all. I mean, I never even saw it coming even as it was happening. It was kind of interesting because I had this really... I mean, not to discount like my skills and my hard work and anything, but I had this really interesting advantage of being a woman in a male-dominated industry where mm. people were looking for something different. And sometimes you're kind of like a human interest piece. Yes. And I tried to take any situational advantage I had and kind of run with it and, you know, meet people and get involved in more events and travel and just basically... Um, feel the momentum that I had and run with it. And there's all these moments that I felt like all of these women before me who had worked in male-dominated industries or just women in general who mm -hmm. couldn't have bank accounts, couldn't own a house, couldn't uh, have a job, vote. couldn't yeah. vote, couldn't, you know, just all sorts of everything that has been. I just felt like I had this really intense power of everyone, like, like coming forward. And yeah, like I... I got to work with everything that everyone, else, every other woman before me has fought for. And I got to, you know. You were standing on their shoulders as yeah. other women are going to stand on yours. Yeah. Just hearing you share that, it's so empowering. I, I feel like I moved. <laughs> it's so empowering. And it's very refreshing to hear that you were, that you didn't have a break in the industry Because you were a woman and they just wanted like a face. Mm -hmm. They wanted a different point of view. Mm -hmm. They they wanted you because you were a woman and they wanted something different and new. But it wasn't like, oh, based on looks or stats to fill a quota. It was like, hmm, we need something new. Yeah. And the brewery that I specifically worked at when I started, I don't think that they were quite as like privy to what was going on. I was just someone who wanted a job and was really eager and kind of stepped into that role. But then once I like found my footing within the industry, I, that's kind of where I found that momentum. And, you know, me and a couple other women in the industry like accidentally became these, you know, peers that were visible for other women, whether it was in our industry or just like other male dominated industries. And I ended up meeting a lot of women all around the country and now all around the world who are in like similar situations to me where they get to be like the first women at jobs. Yeah. Trailblazers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, really interesting for that to like accidentally happen. And I don't know, it's very simple. It's just going to work and doing your job. But the visibility, it's kind of like how I met you, where mm -hmm. all these like strong, powerful women see what's going on and they want to help each other and help their male peers and, you know, recognize that it's not just all women doing this together. It takes yeah. a lot of like really strong, smart, bold men to be able to, you know, meet us at the same place yes. and hold high yes. standards and yes. do all of that. My hairs are racing this is so inspiring and empowering to hear and moving and ah. don't you think that everyone like where we are right now is you know kind of experiencing the same things like it's yes I, I think it's hard to verbalize and maybe even realize that it's yes. happening because like we're it's in a the, big shift it's a huge shift and yes. everything that everyone's doing right now it matters and yes Yeah. So much jazz. So much jazz to everything that you shared, Natalie, to <laughs> to your thoughts, to your perspective, to this unique opportunity you have. I am so grateful for you and for the work you do. And it's I'm speechless. This is this. <laughs> wow. But you're in it, too. You're doing the same thing. 
same place. <laughs> Thank you. So after you did not win the homebrewing competition yeah, uh-huh. at where you were that where you were working, you made one, and then you moved to Burnside, or that happened at Burnside. That happened at the old brewery, and once I so like the week that I started at Burnside, I won like this homebrew competition type thing in the city of Portland. It's run by the Willamette Weekly, and it's called the Willamette Weekly Pro Am. And wow. there is a pro paired with an amateur brewer. And it's just a fun little thing. So you participate in pairs. Mm-hmm. And you participated with your, is he your mentor? I, or like, who did you participate with? One of my mentors who worked at a different brewery. His okay. name's Dave Fleming. He's like wonderful, wonderful man um, who knows everyone in the industry. And has been brewing for a long time. But he, uh, we paired up and it was really funny because he had something else going on the weekend of the competition and I showed up to this like beer festival by myself (laughs) and we didn't have any signs and (laughs) I didn't have any swag and everyone had just like beer signs and keychains and just everything. And you you were just there with a barrel and that was it. Exactly. (laughs) And the way that everyone voted, there was a people's choice and a judge's choice and everyone just put a marble in your glass if they liked your beer. And at the end I was like, I think I have like a couple marbles. There's like a chance. And then we ended up winning people's choice and judge's choice. What? And I called him and I was like, uh, hey Dave. Um, Something happened. We won. And he was like, what do you mean we won? And I was like, we won the whole thing. And <laughs> Wow. So that was like a really cool thing for me and talk about encouragement like hey, yeah i'm just gonna try this thing and i don't have a sign and i'm just here with my barrel and then oh yeah we actually want critics choice yeah. and judges choice. wow yeah it was really cool and then so that was like my first week at burnside and they were really excited to have me there they're like oh cool who like, wouldn't like yeah, wow that's really great you just started and just winning you know yeah taking names and- yeah And then the following year, I got to judge the competition, which was really special. And then I participated again the following year with some really great home brewers. And we didn't win anything, but I thought the beer was really cool. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and it's just, you know, the sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. But I believe there's something called cosmic salary. And -hmm. sometimes even though you don't get an award or an actual payment in money, the opportunities that arise from that and the connections you make, they're far more... I don't know. Like, And for me, it's more about like the other person. Like now that I get to be the pro in the situation, yeah. it's more about being on the other side, the platform that you're offering and, you know, helping homebrewers do something that they're really interested in, whether they want to do it on a pro level or not. It's more about like, you know, it's more about them. And that's yes. really, really cool. But also for me, as an outsider of the brewing industry, it's so important that you're a woman. Yeah. And then you're a, there's a lot of us now. And, and yeah, and then mm-hmm. you're a young woman doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's part of this huge shift. It's so amazing to hear. It's so it's so fun. I picture you there with your barrel. Yeah. <laughs> so then you how long are you at Burnside? I was at Burnside for two and a half or three years, I can't remember. And then I applied for... And you were brewing there. Yep, I was brewing there. So I started like keg washing Mm -hmm. and cleaning tanks and moving stuff around. From the bottom up. Yep. And then started brewing there and ended up being the lead brewer by the time that I left and applied for a job at Breakside. And it was an interesting like movement in my career because I went from being a lead brewer to being a production brewer. Mm. So I went from having like a lot of creative freedom to um, working more in like a factory type setting. And... For me, it was reaching out towards people who had more education, more 
I just wanted more. Mm -hmm. And that was a really good place to find it. And my boss is like a really incredible teacher and mentor. So I was like a little bit nervous about going from one brewery to a different for a reason that I knew long-term would be good. But Mm -hmm. initially it feels like, made me feel a little bit starved to just, I mean, I also didn't know how to do that job at all. So I had to learn how to do that. So that was something, but you were clearing that up. Yeah. Um, when you, you know, change pace and something, it's obviously really intense, but then once you get comfortable again, you're like, okay, what's the focus? Where do I want to be? Was it a matter of taking a, a new challenge or was it a matter of growth? Um, growth for sure, because the brewery that I was at previously, regardless of my position, I was still really inexperienced and Mm. still very green and needed a different like source of environment. Yeah. Environment to, to learn and grow more knowledge and exactly. And the beer industry is really cool because there's a lot of access to further education where you go to seminars, um, big conferences, uh, collaborations are really valuable because a lot of the times like recipe development and, you know, just working with your peers, you learn so much. So it's this really interesting way to just like continuously gain knowledge. That's not necessarily like recordable on paper. There's like classes and stuff that you can get certificates for, but yeah, it sounds like there's so many avenues for growth and collaboration and Mm -hmm. it just sounds like a very wholesome environment where there's many things you can do Mm -hmm. and and I bet there's people that specialize in something and I don't know it it just sounds wholesome That's, that's what I'm imagining it's really interesting because depending on what your focuses are you can you know, make a lot of beer with wine. You can make a beer mm-hmm. in barrels. You can make beer with flowers. You can make mm-hmm. traditional beer. Like it's, there's a lot of options. And now that the consumers are becoming more and more educated, yes. you have people want to buy weird things because mm-hmm. they understand a little bit more about what's happening instead of just brewers going places and nerding out on beer. And then those are the only people that buy it. And you have to be able to move the product to be able to make the fun product. So it's really important that Do you have to have that in mind when you're making a beer? Like, how will this beer move? How will this... Yeah, absolutely. Especially, like, when we're designing the schedule of the brews. Mm -hmm. Like, you don't want to make, like, all dark beer. In the summer or something. Exactly. And so it's about, like, layering, paying attention to seasons. And a lot of traditional brewing, there's beers that are released at certain times during the year. Mm -hmm. And you can kind of, like, follow that. So Like Oktoberfest kind of thing. Exactly. And... You know, light lagers in the summer because everyone just wants to chug light mm-hmm. beer. Things like that where it's not like a rule, but it definitely helps. helps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the market demands that. Exactly. Because of the actual weather or holidays or things that are yeah. happening. What is a day in your life? A day in the life of Natalie Rose Baldwin. <laughs> um it varies quite a bit, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, you mean like as far as work goes? Yes. Or okay, okay. Well, cool. work, I was but like, also life. Like yeah. what is it? Like today you were sharing like this morning you felt like you had to have two kinds of cereal. Yes. <laughs> to satisfy yourself. <laughs> yes. So generally on a work day, my schedule's a little bit funny right now because I work at uh, 
the little three barrel brewery that I run by myself along with. Wait, the, I don't know about that. Tell me about that. Oh, so Breakside has three breweries. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, um, we have a production facility where most of the packaged beer comes out of like bottles and kegs. Which is in Milwaukee? Yep. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And then we have the Northwest location. That's a medium Slop-tel. size. Yep. And that's a lot of like hoppy beers. And then Deacom mm-hmm. um, is a three barrel brew house, which is the original brewery. And that's what I run. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm there four-ish days a week. And then I'm usually at the production facility one day a week just to kind of help and fill in because the weekends are a little bit um, quieter as far as staff goes. So like last week I had a day where I went in and kegged a bunch of beer, cleaned a bunch of tanks. Just by yourself? <laughs> yeah, just by myself. If I'm at Deacon, I'm always by myself. Oh, okay. Um, do so, you have any assistance? Mm-mm. No, it's, it's small enough that it's... You, you can, can do it. I can, well... Like on site, I don't have anyone helping me there, but it takes a lot of work from everyone else at the production facility to help. To make that happen. Okay. Exactly. Because they, um, we have a delivery warehouse and like if I need yeast, someone needs to clean the keg twice and mm. then, so it gets put on the schedule and then cleaned and then someone has to harvest these from the tank, clean everything, it's put like it in the order. where the chef does the actual cooking, but someone, the sous chef does all the prep work. Exactly. Kind of like that. Okay. Yeah. It takes a lot of help to be able to do that where like if I was running my own brewery completely independent with no other breweries, it would be a lot more work than what I do because I have so much help. And mm. what I'll do is I'll write a recipe and then it will get put into a delivery sheet and or it gets put into like a tracking software and then if we don't have the ingredients and someone orders it from a supplier and then once it arrives then it gets all put together and then the delivery people put it all together and then bring it to my brewery and like put it downstairs and get everything all prepped up and then I use all the ingredients like once they're in my location so it takes like a lot of prep work that's not just complex system yes yeah absolutely so there you're by yourself but to actually be able to do that work there's a lot that needs to happen exactly outside of those three tanks yep and I don't have to clean any um I don't have to clean kegs I don't like there's Mm -hmm. a lot of stuff that people do to help me yeah so you're there four ish days a week Mm -hmm. and then your what is your schedule like Um, when I'm there, I have Mm -hmm. a lot of autonomy. So despite being kind of lonely all the time, because I don't have any of my coworkers, I have the autonomy. So it's like a kind of a a little bit of a give and take where like, if, if we wanted to do this on a a work day and you're like, we, the only time I have is 1 PM and I'm like, okay, well I have an eight hour day. Could be able to, I could go into work at three in the morning and Mm -hmm. get all my work done so that I could um, do it. Exactly. And what do you do in those, uh, when you're working and you're pretty much alone, do you listen to music or podcasts or do you talk to yourself? Do you meditate? Do you just <laughs> do the work? Like, what is your MO? Very mood dependent. I've been burning through podcasts a lot. I have an Audible subscription. Me too. So I love audiobooks. So the good. Best when you have mm-hmm. your, because, you know, I do ceramics. Yeah. And when you have your hands busy and you need content, yes. Yeah. Sometimes I sit down and I'm throwing pots and then I finish a book and I'm like, what? I know. Yeah. One day I was talking to my boyfriend about it, how I will go through a book like in a day yeah. and he can't believe that. He's like, how do you even do that? I'm like, by myself. And I listen to the entire book. That's how. But yeah, a lot of podcasts, a lot of music. Sometimes I'm totally fine with silence. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, do you go out? Is there a point in your, your day when you just go out to see people like when you're like oh I, I just need to see people yes absolutely yeah. uh-huh <laughs> um sometimes I'll have people visit me I'm like hey I'm really alone at work come hang out 
And then when I go to the big brewery, it's really funny because it's very overwhelming and there's so many people and everyone moving around all the time. That used to be my everyday life. And now I've uh, shifted a little bit so that it's not so familiar, but I love seeing everyone and it's really exciting to hang out with everyone. But sometimes I'll, when I'm working at Decom, I'll go from the basement upstairs and I say it's like a time warp where I haven't even like noticed that the restaurant's open and I don't even know what time of day it is. Yeah. And I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> and then you're like, okay, people are living, people yeah. are eating, there's families, the world is still here. Okay, I'm going to go back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Do you consider Portland home now? Like, is this a place where you want to be for a while? Or you're like, no, I'm actually have this itch to go work in this country or somewhere. Yeah, I really love living in Portland and it feels like home. But I also don't ever feel completely like like trapped like mm -hmm. I feel rooted but I don't feel like it is a place like that I must be exactly mm -hmm. and I actually just won this really cool scholarship a couple months ago where I got to travel all around Germany oh yeah I um, didn't know it was I thought it was like R&D trip but I didn't know you won a scholarship yeah wow, congratulations thanks yeah there's this really cool um network of women called the Pink Boots Society and it is a nonprofit, and it offers further education for women in the beer industry Ooh. so it's not necessarily just brewers but it's a lot of salespeople, brewery owners judges critics exactly mm -hmm. you just have to make a portion of your income in the brewing industry and or the beer industry so you could work at a tap room 12 hours or two hours a week and that would qualify and you can you. be part of the program and also mm -hmm. apply for the scholarship yep yeah so they offer like 90 scholarships a year and one of the biggest ones that they offer is this trip to germany and it's an 11-day tour where you just travel all around bavaria and drink beer and like learn all about everything that you could ever want to know about Bavarian beer. And I was really lucky where my job also sponsored the other side of the trip. So I went on this 11-day trip, but then also um, on each end did a week of just exploring by myself. But I went to specific regions where I was interested in the beer or it's beer that I make. So I got to go drink the actual beer like from the source. And wow. yeah, it was really, really magical. What is your biggest takeaway from that trip in, in terms of learning about techniques or the Bavarian beer or the region or maybe just like a human encounter? What is What was some of your biggest takeaways from that? I learned, well, the reason I brought that up was because we were just talking about like where I want to live and it made mm -hmm. me feel a lot more mobile and able to like just do what I do anywhere. It would be really hard to brew in Germany because there's so many laws like to be a brewer there you have to go to school for a certain amount of time and have an internship and it's it's quite tedious so people there everyone is a brewmaster if you've been through school so it's not even a language barrier it's just that how the professional law works or something yeah it's just like how the standard is set and how you get work in the industry so here, if someone calls themselves a brewmaster, generally they haven't been through the traditional German schooling to be called a brewmaster, but they're more of a um, like head brewer, like the boss. Mm -hmm. So brewmaster most of the time in the U.S. indicates just like the boss. Ooh, mm -hmm. okay. That is good to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's cool because, I mean, it doesn't lessen the name at all, but yeah, it just no. means something different. It means something different. Yeah. I don't know. I also It also made me feel very, very lucky for my job that I have now because all these other women that I met on the trip, they all have like amazing situations, but I felt particularly like blessed for what sort of job and freedom and 
like what I get to do all the time and how my work treats me. Well, you deserve it. You deserve all of the good things. So does everyone. And you're, yeah. you're, so does yeah. everyone. Yes, that <laughs> is true. What does your creative process look like from start to end? How does a recipe idea come into your mind, mess around with your brain and your feelings, and then you bring it to life? Or how how is your creative process informed? It's my job's also interesting because it's a creative process, but I also have a responsibility to fulfill because it's my job. So I have to fill a schedule and based on the time of year, I can kind of design like, oh, I want some like higher alcohol, darker beers in the winter or in the summer. I want something like lighter and fruity or bright or there's a competition I'm brewing for. So I know I need to make something. And like recently I wanted to or someone came to me and said they wanted to make a lime beer. And I love limes. And me so, too. I'm like, I want to try that. Yeah, it's so good. And it's citrus season because it's winter. So there's um, – I'm doing a bunch of citrus stuff because I'm super excited about it. But that's something I like – I want to make ceviche and then have that beer. Mm, yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> so excited. So like if ingredients are in season, then that can kind of like inspire you. Like you go to the grocery store and you're like, oh, there's citrus everywhere. It's winter. I should make a citrus beer. Mm. But so we made a key lime beer and then I got to – when I was designing the beer, I looked in – kind of like the catalog of all the beers that Breakside has made before. Like, have we made something? Could I learn something from a recipe that's already been made, not make like the same mistakes twice? Or is there something that worked really well? Should I do that? And we've, they made this beer called Mango Sticky Rice a couple years ago. And in the tasting notes, it said tastes more like key lime pie because of, they put a lot of lime zest in it. And so I kind of adjusted the recipe to be, more of like I took mango out and I made it like a little bit less sweet and I, you know, took something that already exists and morphed it into something else. And then we'll add a bunch of key limes to it at the end of fermentation so that um, just I've kind of made enough beer to know when I like to add ingredients sometimes, sometimes I don't know. But mm. yeah, so that's kind of how I designed the the key lime beer. And then like when Annie wanted to make an oyster stout, we knew it was a delicate flavor. So you know, you you kind of design a beer based on what you've learned and how to make it better the next time. And like if you make a beer with salt, it makes it doesn't just make it salty, it makes it feel like heavy. It adds like weight oh, to the mouthfeel. Like salt water. Yeah. Wow. So if you want to add salt to a beer, but you have a lot of malt in it, like wheat that makes it feel like full then you know that you need to have less wheat because you're going to add salt. So Otherwise, that, it's going to be super heavy. Exactly. So creative process is something like you have an idea and then you design a recipe around it based on what you've learned or talking to other brewers and kind of working around it. So sometimes you'll eat food and you're like, wow, this is incredible. How do I incorporate this or a cocktail or something like that? But sometimes it's tricky to be able to – like cocktail beers are tricky because – you can't add just a little bit of something like you can in a cocktail. You have to add enough yeah, to like a, a large... little bitters or a little something. It's like, oh, three buck loads of... Exactly. <laughs> so like my creative process starts with designing a recipe and or, you know, get being inspired by something or knowing that it's the time of year to brew a beer and then do a lot of research to you know, build the right type of recipe. And whether that's like within our own files or just reading books or anything all over the internet, talking to other people. And then my job is pretty cool because 
Uh, the big brewery, we have three different breweries. The big brewery acts as a production, or excuse me, as a, um, like warehouse. Mm -hmm. So I can just order everything from there. And I have a lot of help, like I said earlier, from the people who work there. So I'll like ingredients. Exactly. So I'll like tell ever, I'll put everything what I need or put everything together. And then other people, like I'll source everything, but then everyone will kind of like bring it to my brewery. Mm. And then, um, I'll use it, make the beer. And as the beer is fermenting, if you've already put most of the ingredients in and you don't like the way something's tasting, like I need more lime, then, you know, you can add more lime now or add more lime later. Or we added lime zest and it tastes bitter maybe next time. Or we used a whole lime and it tastes bitter because the pith is bitter. Next time we'll just use the zest. Oh, okay. And um, so trial and error. So much trial and error. And it's pretty cool because most people do this, but we have a taste panel once a week where we sit down and we drink all the beers and we evaluate them. We're like, hey, we really like the hop level in this beer, but it tastes a little dry so next time we brew this, let's make it a little bit less dry, but leave the hops where they are, like that kind of thing. So it's a lot of work from everyone to make a beer that we all think is a representation of like, you know, Breakside in particular. But yeah, so beers evolve a lot from the first um, go at it. And that's pretty fun. And then we finish it off, a carb it, and then put it on tap or bottle conditioner or something, and then we all get to drink it. How long does it take from when you have a recipe to the beer in a bottle or draft available in a bar? It depends on how... Sometimes I like really want to make a beer, but I just like can't get it out of my head because I either don't know how to do it or like something's missing. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes I'll have a beer on the back burner for like months and months or there's a couple that I haven't done for about a year, even though I like I know that I want to do them or just like doesn't fit in the schedule. So sometimes something just gets like pushed off to the side. But like I wrote a recipe last week. It took me probably took me like three-ish hours to design the recipe, get it all put together and then source everything. And then it will take me 17-ish days to, you know, make the beer, finish the beer, and then we'll get it to the production facility and kind of like get it in the channels of, I don't know, like fast. If I'm like very efficient and just do one beer from the beginning to the end, it could take me like 30 days. Wow. But that's pretty quick. Sometimes it takes much longer than that. Months or And you plan seasons. like exactly. And you try to plan pretty far ahead. I'm trying to get better about that. But <laughs> But that is so interesting. What is the oddest ingredient you've used? I mean the oysters are pretty funny yeah. <laughs> and the seaweed it was pretty funny because um the kombu the seaweed came in actual pieces of seaweed so it was like, like from the sea four feet long wow um that was pretty nuts when I <laughs> first started brewing at Burnside Brewing my first beer that I ever made by myself I didn't write the recipe but it was kind of like the day that I was brewing they were like this is what's happening we used lamb hearts what so that was strange yeah I how does a lamb heart infuse or like what what flavor or profile are you looking for if you use a lamb heart I mean I think that it was a collaboration with a metal band <laughs> and it was just like metal and cool to like use lamb hearts in a beer um but it didn't taste like anything like there was no iron or I didn't notice any any difference yeah it was just like metal 
Yeah. And cool. And cool. Yeah. Other strange stuff. I don't know. It's pretty fun to just like order a lot of uh, random things yeah. and then be like, let's see what this taste is like. Yeah. I just ordered a bunch of salt pickled sakura or like cherry blossom flowers from Japan that I'm going to use with. Salt pickled cherry blossoms. What? Yeah. That's just um, one of the formats that you can get them in. And um, some of them make You like cannot a- get the fresh flowers. You probably can, but I didn't really find any that wasn't blended with sugar or Mm. salt, even if it was powder. And this, I know exactly how to use it. So I'm just going to kind of roll with it and make a salt pickled. (laughs) uh, It sounds terrible, but like, I guess salted. It reminded me of this rogue um, salty pickle. No, salty. What was it called? I tried it two years ago and it was disgusting. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just like as as an artist signs a piece of art, do brewers get to put their mark on a beer? Yeah. I mean, there's a couple different ways you can do that. Like I really like to brew with flowers and fruit and other sorts of interesting ingredients. And so I think that like I have a style. So Mm -hmm. I like to make things delicate yet like bold. As you are. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And... So, like, I'll use a lot of rose petals, but rose petals in beer often taste like pepper. Mm. So you can kind of, like, blow someone's mind a little bit where you're like, yeah, I used a lot of flowers. And that's, like, my delicate touch. (laughs) But it's also, like, kind of peppery. But it's not, like, yeah. (laughs) And then when you name a beer, that obviously impacts, you know, that's, like, your little touch, too. Like, I have a couple of beers on tap right now and we have rasolka which is and you named it i named that one in uh slavic folklore rasolka are rasolka are like um sirens kind of mm-hmm. and Mer- mermaids mer- mermaids yep and then i have basic witch which is <laughs> <laughs> i like that <laughs> a rose petal beer that i brewed with a band last year and i just kind of re-brewed it but we brewed it at midnight on a full moon That's and that amazing. was super fun and then i have um, Phantasmagoria, which is a smoked beer. And I kind of named it off of the um, smoke and mirrors idea. Mm-hmm. Smoke and mirrors and Phantasmagoria are kind of like in the same zone where it's, uh, I'd have to look up the definition now, but it's it's kind of cool. It's like um, when people did uh, like seances mm-hmm. and I think that's what fa- Phantasmagoria is. It's like in that whole like realm, that's like a name for like magicians and like all that kind of like zone illusions and exactly exactly that was a poor explanation but yeah (laughs) um so it's kind of cool to just like see all the names that are up there and then annie's oyster stout is going to be umami umami and then the (laughs) tagline umami but it's going to be spelled o-o-h mommy yeah and then um The tagline is shuck the patriarchy. (laughs) I love it. I cannot wait to drink it and tell the world about it. Oh, mommy, shuck the patriarchy. That's so great. When when is it, is it going to, I know you're making this for the competition, but is it going to also be available? Yep. It'll be on at the pub. When? um, Probably early March. Okay. Mm -hmm. Good. I'll be there. What do you do? As a human to have fun, what do you, what's your dynamic when you leave work? Mm-hmm. What do you like to do? I like to cook. I like to cook with friends also. So it's a fun little way to meet up with people. I've been hibernating a lot in the winter. You know, it just gets dark so early. So I'll just come home and I like tea and I'll just kind of hang out and 
Um, I try to read, but I get about a page in and then I fall asleep. So I also like to get out a lot. So get out of town and go hiking or camping or biking, just kind of get out and do stuff. Do you go back to Colorado often? I try to go about once a year. It's a little bit hard to get home because I can fly into Denver pretty conveniently, but then it's like a two-hour drive from Mm. Denver to get home. So sometimes you can talk someone into driving you back up there, but I'm not going to make my mom drive like four hours to come pick me up and bring me home. Natalie's interview was so good that we had to split it in two. Stay tuned for part two next week. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and you feel a little bit more inspired, more magical, more human. If you like this episode, please subscribe to the show. Say hello to me on Instagram and tell me what resonated with you or what did you like the most about today's episode. If anything you listened to made you think of someone, please go share it with them. The world is a better place when we make each other feel seen. And again, thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I see you, I hear you, I love you. Talk to you next week. Bye. This show is produced by Annie Fassler of Puddle Creative with music by Megan Diana and cover art by Vania Vananina, that's me, and Maya Busby.